Well, I'm excited to be able to share with you this morning. The Lord's already been working in the previous services. Uh, we had a person that accepted Christ and a family that joined, and it's been cool to see that, how God is working. There was a preacher that had his first sermon at the age of 18. He was tall and skinny, and it was a little Baptist church down in Palatka, Florida. He went up there with four different sermons, shared the sermons, and sat down in eight minutes. Now, mine's a little bit longer than eight minutes, so don't get all excited on me. But 77 years later, at the age of 95, he preached his final public sermon. And he said this, people don't want to hear that they're sinners. To many people, it's an offense. Billy Graham proclaimed, the cross is offensive because it directly confronts the evils that dominate so much of this world. He went on to explain that the Christian message demands that believers embrace a new lifestyle, one that directly confronts mankind's sinful nature. Sin is a disease in the human heart. It affects the mind, the will, and our emotions. Every part of our being is affected by this disease. I would like to look at Romans 3 this morning. We're going to be in verses 21 through 26. If you'll stand with me as we read that. Romans 3.21 But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we do come before you this morning, and we just pray that you will work through this message. Father, not my words, but yours, and your will be done. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I don't want you to be uncomfortable, but the reality is that sin affects us all every day. It is the root of the problems that we face. In fact, we've seen through the book of James how trials and temptations, favoritism toward others, the lack of faith without deeds, our inability to control our tongue, worldly wisdom and quarrels can all lead us down the path of sin. But today I would like for us to look at sin and God's solution to us from the book of Romans. The book of Romans is Paul's letter to the Christians in Rome. It has been described as the most profound work in existence. And from the start, Paul develops the theme that whether Jewish or Gentile, all sin and need salvation. Paul explains how God justifies the sinner. In fact, Romans uses that word justify 14 times. And all throughout the New Testament, it is used that many times also. In these few verses, we see that we are justified by faith alone and saved by Christ alone. So let's start in verse 21, where we see that God is righteous and has a plan. 
It says in verse 21, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law of the prophets. The first key word is righteousness. That is the state acceptable to God in which a sinner comes in a right relationship with him through Jesus. To understand this meaning, the following facts need to be kept in view. You see, the Jews, as a people, supposed that they secured the favor of God by keeping the law, the Mosaic law, and that by doing that, they would attain salvation. Now, we know that the law demands perfect obedience to its precepts and threatens condemnation to those who do not keep such obedience. We see that in Galatians 3.10 and verse 12. Obedience of this kind, no one is kept, neither Jew nor Gentile, no man. That's why we read in Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, not even one. One commentary says this, the manner of becoming righteous, which God appointed without the law, without that perfect and previous obedience to the law requires, without reference to or dependence on the law, ceremonial or moral, revealed or natural, is manifested or achieved only in the gospel. Jesus was perfect. He was the only man. But that's why Paul can say with confidence, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Paul also says in Titus chapter 3, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. Now the last part of verse 21 into verse 22 reads this, it's been manifested, being witnessed by the law and prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now that word manifested means to take the lid off. The righteousness of God was being revealed through the laws as a protection and a, and a boundary for the people. And the righteousness of God was being revealed by the prophets. Now it's easy for us to be able to look in our Bible now and see that what was being manifested was Jesus Christ. But as the lid was taken off, as it was being revealed through the law and through the prophets, not everyone understood it fully. That's why Jesus says he came to fulfill the law. Matthew 5, 7, 17 says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He also says in John 5, 46, For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Paul continues in Romans 3, 22, when he says, Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. So we see the righteousness of God is expressed in Jesus, and righteousness is obtained by faith in Jesus for all who believe. Listen, faith defined by Webster is a strong belief in God based on spiritual apprehensions rather than proof. So it's talking about the thing that you cannot see, you have faith in. But we know it to be more than that. 
We know it to be a conviction that God exists and is the creator and ruler of all things, the provider of eternal salvation through Christ. That's what true faith is. But faith in Christ alone is also what we have apart from works of the law. Romans 3.28 says, For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the work of the law. But faith comes with believing. The word believe means to acknowledge Jesus as Savior and, get this, devote oneself to him. We see belief in, in the Son is belief in the Father. John 12.44 says, And Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. We also see that devotion is necessary in our belief. Y'all remember James 2.19? You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. So it's, it's acknowledging who Jesus is, is and devotion to him. That is belief. So to paraphrase Romans 3.21 and 22, listen to this. But in our time, something new has been added. What Moses and the prophets, prophets witnessed to all those years has happened. The God setting things right that we read about has become Jesus setting things right for us. And not only for us, but for everyone who believes in him. For there is no difference between us and them in us. Now, many of us know Romans 3.23. Y'all say it with me. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Some of y'all have learned this as you memorize the Romans road. And it's an easy way to share the gospel. In fact, here's a little hint. You can start in Romans 3.23 and put the reference for the verses to follow. Because in Romans 6.23, in Romans 5.8, and in Romans 10.9 and 10... The gospel is revealed. All have sinned. The gift of God is eternal life. Sin equals death. While we were yet sinners, God demonstrated his love for us on the cross through Jesus. And then if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, we shall be saved. But through this verse, we see that all sin and are short. Sin means to miss the mark. Now, according to the scripture... How many have missed the mark? All, right? This is the Jews, the Gentiles, you and me. It goes on to say we fall short of God's glory and we come up short. My daughter Emma, a couple of years ago, she was nine. She started playing basketball with the park and rec department. And I remember her coming home. They had an eight-foot goal. And she came home. She said, Dad, I want to be able to dunk the basketball. Now, I didn't have the heart to tell her that genetically it ain't going to happen because if she's taking after me, I can't dunk on an eight-foot goal, okay? She's going to have challenges, right? She's going to come up short every time. But listen to this. Some are short in stature, but all have come short of God's glory. When we come up short of his glory, it means that we are not what God intended for us to be. We lack his character. His standard is Jesus. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, if we're not under the law, why do we 
live our Christian life in such a way, full of the do nots. Track with me here. We always say, do not cross the line. Do not do this. The reality is, if we live with wisdom and understanding that we want to glorify God, the do nots would not be as big. Glorifying Him would be more important. We want to bring glory to Christ. Paul goes on to say in Romans 3.24, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Now aren't you thankful to know that you cannot talk about sin without talking about what God did about it? You see, we have been justified. And that's a legal term designed to pick to paint a picture of the believer's new status before a holy God. That word justified is simply just as if I never sinned. But the moving cause of justification is the grace of God. Grace contains the idea of kindness which bestows upon one what he has not deserved. Y'all think about this. This is a good picture of grace. Your neighbor comes over and says, I've got a lot of leaves in my yard. I need to borrow your leaf blower. And you say, okay, you can borrow it tomorrow. You go to Home Depot. You purchase him a really nice leaf blower. But while he's not home the next day, you go over and blow the leaves off his yard. And you leave that leaf blower there as a gift for him. That's a picture of grace. And my address is in the bulletin if y'all want to give it a couple more weeks before you come over. It's something that we don't deserve. And there's no expectation of the one bestowing or giving that gift that he wants any payment back. Now the final portion of verse 24 completes the package of justification and grace with redemption. Redemption is the recalling of the captives, in other words, the sinners, from captivity, which is sin, through the payment and ransom for them. Christ's death has set us free. Deliverance from sin is freedom. Your load has been lightened. The high school boys are camping, and uh, 3 o'clock this morning, a thunderstorm came through Dahlonega, and I got up and started praying for Luke, because I'm like, that poor boy's in the tent. He's probably scared to death in the middle of a thunderstorm. But as we were packing his backpack, we got that thing full, and he said, Daddy, how much do you think it weighs? I said, I don't know. So we put him on the scale, and then we put him on the scale with the backpack on. It was 40 pounds. I know. That's like toting his sister around on his back. And I said, boy, the only way you're going to lighten your load is to eat. Eat the food that you put in there. <clears throat> the only way we're going to lighten our load is to allow Christ to take it. There are people here this morning that are toting a load. You're burdened. I like this paraphrase. Romans 3.24, it says, Since we've compiled this long and sorry record as a sinner, both us and them, and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us, God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself, a pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. 
and he did it by the means of Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful for that? There's a final thing I want you to see is that God is just and he provides. Romans 3, 25 through 26 says, Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith, this was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier and the one who has faith in Jesus. God's grace brought redemption, but it brought so much more of the accomplishment on the cross because God's wrath was satisfied through the sacrifice of his son. That word propitiation, the literal translation is mercy seat. You can see this in Leviticus 16, where once a year, the priests would go into the Holy of Holies and would sacrifice. Blood had to be shed in order for the sacrifice before the Lord. We're reminded in 1 John 2, 2, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for those of the whole world. In 1 John 4, 10, says, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now there's expiation, which is the act of making amends for guilt or wrongdoing. That's the atonement part. But propitiation encompasses the turning away of the wrath and the atonement. You see, the Greeks and the Romans had many gods that they followed. They had the goddess of love, god of sleep, God of victory, Mother Earth, God of sun, God of moon, whole list of gods. But they had no relationship with these gods. They were just appeasing them. Our God, the one true God, created us for a relationship. We're reminded in some key verses that God loves us and what he did for us on the cross. John 3, 16 and 17 says, For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Second Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now you may still be asking, but what kind of father sends his son to such a horrific death. We have to consider God's holiness and sin's offensiveness. Sin calls for his just and wrathful response, the removal of all traces of both sin and the sinner, his unconditional love for those he made in his own image is so important because he could justly write us off forever. But in love, God acted to save those who trust him. So while his holiness required the just payment of death for sinners, in love, he paid the penalty himself in the person of his only son. By his sacrifice, he served as the just and the justifier. He was the judge, and he took the penalty of sin and placed it on the innocent. The James Gray Commentary sums up verses 21 through 26. It says, The apostle 
writes that now apart from the law, a righteousness of God is manifested, which may become man's without the keeping of the law. This righteousness he describes as witnessed by the law and the prophets, obtained through faith in Jesus Christ, without respect of persons, Jew or Gentile, the free gift of God's grace based upon the death of Jesus Christ and its bestowment declarative of God's righteous character. So how do we respond to this? You know, on Wednesdays, I stay here at the office until service starts. Beth and the kids drive in from Delonga, and after service, we have two cars to get back. So Luke always rides with me. Wednesday nights is our Chick-fil-A night. So we do a late dinner at Chick-fil-A. And last Wednesday night, we're on the way home, and I realized the vehicle was on empty. I drive a Suburban. It's got a 40-gallon tank. I don't think it's ever seen full, but it's seen a whole lot of empty, okay? And I told Luke, I said, I'm not going to gas it up. We're going to see how far we can go. We're going to make it to the house. And we did. Now, Thursday morning, I wake up to come back to the office, and guess what? It's still on empty. So I go outside, and I pull over. Come down to the main road, I got a choice. I can turn left, go a quarter of a mile, and get gas, which is inconvenient. Or I can go right, the convenient way, go six miles and get gas. I chose to go right. But as I chose that, I had another choice. Do you drive really fast to get there quicker? Or do you drive slow to conserve the fuel? I'm not going to tell you which one I chose, but I made it to the gas station. And when I got to the office, I Googled it, and I said, how do you conserve fuel when you're on empty? It came up with this, drive consistent. When we're facing sin, we need to be consistent with Christ. It's not a time to steer away from him. We have to trust him. You need an action plan. And this applies... If you're a follower of Christ, it will make sense. You can live free from sin. And this is realizing that you're no longer bound by sin. Listen, don't allow your past sins to be your chains. What Christ desires is for you to pursue him. But you can't do that when you're chained down. Have you ever thought about this? What the enemy has is our past. Those thoughts he brings up. Man, the other day I was at home and the thought of I should have been a better student in high school popped in my mind. I'm like, that's got to be the enemy. The second thing is this. Character counts. Your character is what you are when no one else is around. Beth and I have met with students who were struggling spiritually because of the contradiction they saw in their parents. Monday through Saturday, those parents lived a different way than they did on Sunday morning. Their character was not consistent with who they were. Probably one of my favorite jobs at the church has been Umbrella Man. Now, at the first church Beth and I went to, when I walked in, one of the guys said, hey, you want to volunteer in the parking lot? I'm like, sure. He said, here's the umbrella. And you take this umbrella when it's raining and go out in the parking lot and you help people get into the church. I said, okay. You'd be standing out there, and people would pull in just going at it. And you could read their lips. I mean, they were mad. 
And it's like they pull up on holy ground. They open the door and they step out and they're all happy. And you're like, what is going on? I'm like, you want an umbrella? Come on, let me get you in church. Be consistent in your character. Third thing is this, be kingdom minded. Be around people who are seeking his righteousness. Have accountability. Spur one another on. Y'all know where you get a lot of that? Uh, most of that? Here. Don't miss this opportunity. Together, together. Church is important. Community group is important. Grow group is important. Mission trips are important. Be around kingdom-minded. And finally this, move from fed to feeding. You can come here every Sunday morning and just be fed and remain a baby. You need to get to a point where you can feed yourself. Start basic. Start with, hey, this week I'm going to start praying every day. Or this week I'm going to read through the book of John. Or this week I'm going to listen to a sermon online. Or this week I'm going to go to someone who I respect and say, will you disciple me? Y'all, Levi would, he'd be so excited if you went up to him and say, Hey, will you disciple me? That would just make this day. We're at a portion of the service now where you get to respond to what the Lord has been saying in your heart. So let's bow our heads and, and pray. But let me ask you before we pray. You're here for a reason this morning. An opportunity to deal with the sin in your life. To live free from that sin. Now you may be here and say, I'm a Christian and I know I have sin in my life. Then confess it and repent and move on from it. You may say, I understand what you're saying about sin. And it's hurting my heart. And I've got an incredible load on my life. And I don't know what to do with it. You need Jesus. And this is the time for that. You may be visiting, may have visited for a while and say, I need a church. We'd love for you to join. We'd love for you to get baptized. But this is the time for you to respond to what the Lord's been saying to you. Father, now we come before you. We come trusting you we come knowing that your word is true and the conviction it brings on our lives requires a response father we want to be children of yours you're righteous you're holy you have justified us through the sacrifice of your son and we thank you for that so now, Lord, I pray for courage. I pray if there's someone that needs to respond to this message, that you will just give them extreme courage to stand up and to come down here and get everything right with you. Father, we praise you. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.